you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of MTAS Radio, where our mission is um, to encourage members of the black community to think about our role and responsibility to ourselves, families, and the community at large. We believe that the poor choices that are being made are a direct result of the information that we take in or lack thereof. We want to empower you by providing you with information that will make you think and ultimately produce positive action that will bring about a change that we so desperately need. And today, the topic of our discussion today that we'll be talking about is role models, Chicago school closings, and the future of education here in Chicago. And on the live line today, we have with us Jamal Cole of the Role Model Movement and Shalonda Sloan of IHO. But before we get into that discussion, I want to encourage all of you to join us um, on Facebook. Um, Just Google Maria Dennis War, and also you can reach us on the web, www.m-tas.org. Again, that's www.m-tas.org. Join us on the web. Also, like us on Facebook to join us in our latest book that we're reading, which is From Good to Great by Jim Coles. Join us on our 90-day challenge and our 90-day re- reading. Again, we incur- we believe in the importance of literacy and the importance of reading. And today's conversation, again, is role models, Chicago school closing, and the future of education. And again, we have on the live line Shalonda Sloan and Jamal Coles. Are you guys with us? Yes, yes thanks, sir. John, for having me. Okay, Solana, I appreciate you for joining us. Jamal, are you there? Yes, I'm there, John. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to first thank the both of you for joining us today on this uh, important, uh, well, for this important conversation. I think that the conversation uh, will be enriching, and the, those that will tune in today will really uh, get a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of information that the both of you um, have to share with the um, the listeners on the live line. And to join this particular conversation, if you want to join us, you can do so by calling 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718-508-9533 if you want to listen in or if you have a question or comments for our guest today. But I want to start off this conversation regarding um, regarding school closing by reading um, directly from an article that was taken from the Miami Herald. Uh, actually, it was uh, actually it's dated Saturday, March the 23rd. Of this year, and it reads: Chicago Mayor uh, Chicago's Mayor Rahm Emanuel responded Saturday to widespread criticism of his plan to close 54 Chicago public schools, saying he wasn't interested in doing what was politically easy, and the pain of the closings doesn't compare to to the anguish of trapping kids in failing schools. If we don't make these changes, we haven't lived up to our responsibility as adults to the children of the city of Chicago, Emanuel said in his first public statement since Thursday's announcement, and I did not run for office to shirk my responsibility. Emmanuel was out of town when, the, when his school chief, Barbara Bird Bennett, announced the closing. Excuse me. 
it is the largest number of CPS schools to be shuttered in a single year, and officials say it will affect 30,000 students in the nation's third largest school district. That's huge. That's huge, Shalanda and, and Jamal. That's 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 a huge um, um, task in front of the city, and just something that um, all of us have to think about as citizens of Chicago, um, and also as concerned parents and just members of the community. So, my, you know, with that being said, my first question to the both of you is this: What are your thoughts? about the recent school closing. We're talking about 54 public schools closing. In what ways do you see this affecting both teachers, parents, and students? Shalanda, I'll let you take that first question. Thank you, John. Um, Thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, Being a product of the Chicago school system, um, I, you know, have firsthand experience as to, you know, what what takes place in schools. However, over the past... uh, decades, schools and children have definitely been changing. But the problem is is that this has been going on for 30 years. This is not something new. And it really bothers me when you have someone such as Rahm Emanuel uh, who unfortunately has had to take the reins to start making some harsh changes that is going to affect a lot of, you know, uh, students as well as families and teachers. Um, The Chicago public school system has been in a crisis uh, for many, many years, uh, especially even during a daily era. I think what had happened, a lot of things just got pushed under the rug, and a lot of these issues that have been surfacing for so long uh, just got pushed under the rug, and now that, you know, they're trying to find ways of, uh, you know, making dollars work for the Chicago public schools, unfortunately 54 schools have to be shut down. The reality is, is that, most of those uh, kids that are affected are minority, African-Americans and Latino kids. You know, so it's an unfortunate thing. It really is. Um, my heart goes out to all those kids that, you know, have you know may have uh, been in these schools if they were in kindergarten, you know, the sociological effect that this could potentially have on them uh, because, you know, they've made their friends, um, families or parents who may have been involved in the school systems and the PTAs. You know, I mean – these were community communities, uh, you know, where they may have had active parents. But unfortunately, the, the schools just didn't make the cut academically. So you have to take a stand and look at what's happening um, in terms of how do we go forward. And in going forward, sometimes some drastic changes, you know, uh, happen. Now what happens? Now you have these kids. Uh, in these overcrowded schools that are unfortunately going to have to go to other schools that are already overcrowded. So I'm trying to understand exactly what's going to take place, you know, and how these kids are going to be properly placed and properly nurtured to help combat this issue of low test scores and so forth. Well, I think you make uh, some interesting points, um, Shalanda, uh, and I think part of part of what we see taking place here is actually the various board officials saying that the schools are not overcrowded. In fact, they're being underutilized. But before we get out, before I go uh, further in that whole discussion, I want to get a, um, get some feedback from you, Jamal, in terms of what's your take on the recent school closing. We're talking about 55 Chicago public schools being closed. Um, the, actually, that that's a huge number for any city. To 
to ha- have to undertake. And um, actually, that's the greatest number of school closings that we've seen in, in Chicago history. What's your take on that, Jamal, in terms of the effect that that's having on teachers, parents, and students? Well, um, first again, John, thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor to be on the show with Shalanda. I'm kind of to piggyback on what she said uh, and to to bring a, another perspective to it. I don't think it's right. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I think students are being evicted. I think teachers are um, teachers are being under-equipped. I think students are being underserved, and I think most taxpayers don't understand what's going on. And I think um, as far as with Rahm Emanuel, um, I just want to give a quote that I. I read in Abraham Lincoln's biography, he says that no one has the right to judge uh, a president or a politician, not even poor um, James Buchanan, because he says, who has not sat in his chair, examined the mail and information that came across his desk, and learned why he made the decisions, you can't judge him until you do those things. But uh, like I said, with that said, though, I um, I try not to um, I try not to put the blame on any politicians, especially when I think about in the 60619 zip code, we spent $28 million on lottery tickets last year alone. In the 60628 zip code, um, $21 million was spent on lottery tickets. So we spent, as a community, over 50, close to $50 million a year on lottery tickets. So I think we can, instead of depending so much on big city government to take care of us, we can come together as a community and kind of, you know, take care of ourselves first, like view democracy from a community level outward as opposed to, you know, waiting for help to come in. But more specifically with the schools closing, yeah, it was all over the news. Uh, everybody's been asking me that question, uh, you know, how do I feel about the, the schools closing? Well, I, I don't feel like it's right because I see private schools and I see charter schools opening up at the same time these schools are closing. So if you're saying there's not resources for, for public school, but there's also there seems to be resources for private school, I think that needs to be um Someone needs to explain what is the difference, first of all, between these schools and, and, and clarify the differences because people are confused. One thing I could appreciate you, uh, I could definitely appreciate your comments, Jamal. And one thing I could appreciate uh, uh, what you said in terms of not, uh, I think I heard uh, Elvis Presley make, make a similar quote um um, the same as Abraham Lincoln by way of you can never judge another man until you first walk in his shoes. And um, that certainly uh, rings true for me and uh, makes a whole lot of sense. But I tell you, and you certainly took the high ground in terms of um, your response, but I tell you who was not as as shy and bashful in her remarks, and um, I don't think she should have been, um, and that's the, um, the, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union. Let me tell you what her response was. Here's her, her response according to a statement that well President Lewis statement on school closing you can get this particular article right off their website Chicago Teachers Union website and here's uh, here's what her response was she said we do not have a utilization crisis what we have is a credibility crisis CPS continues to peddle half truths lies and misinformation in order to justify its campaign to wipe out our schools and carry out this corporate driven school reform non Nonsense. CPS continues to peddle an underutilization myth and billion and the billion dollar deficit lie as justification for their actions. When research and facts prove them wrong, they uh, they simply re- reconfigure their talking points to to in order to further perpetuate their shame and to keep us playing 
the, uh, the school reform game. For the past several weeks, there has been a resounding cry against school action from parents, students, educators, community stakeholders. The mayor and the CEO have ignored these petitions for justification at, at, the, at these hearings and apparently have not listened to a single word from the parents um, who, who spoke directly loud and clear, students who spoke direct, loud and clear, principals who spoke direct, loud and clear, as well as teachers, paraprofessionals, and other school clinicians. So she certainly um, did not hesitate to um, uh, to actually voice her opinion and give her opinion by way of the recent school closing. And uh, here's my next question to um, you, Jamal. I'll start you off with this one here. Um, do you think the factors of children's safety and other community concerns were adequately considered given Chicago's history of violence. No, no, I, I don't think. Anytime you, you close a school and you tell a you tell a teenager that now you have to go across town or a few more blocks than you otherwise had to go to go to school and he comes into a new school environment, it seems like uh, it's going to create, um, I mean, everybody's been that new person in the school, <laughs> this new person in the school before, so now, they have to join the other social groups, and it, and you would, with their crossing different territories that they normally wouldn't have. I think um, a few this, the consequences of this big move will be seen uh, in a, about a year or two, and, and people will, will see if it, if it worked or not. But I, I don't think that have shuffling everybody around and having them, you know, walk through communities that they're not, you know, used to, or even even on the south side now they're cutting down the um the public transportation for the next 5 months so i mean how are how are kids supposed to be getting to these schools when the red line is not going to be up and functioning for the next you know uh, 6 months so i think uh no I, I don't i don't think that um enough time was put into this and i, I any time you have 50 schools closing and you have um you know uh banks you know spending all kinds of you know bailing out bailing out banks and any time you see Banks settling and stuff like that. At the same time, 50 schools are closing in Chicago. I don't think it's a, a right move, personally. Solana, what's your take on that? Do you think enough uh, was taken into consideration by way of children's safety and other community concerns relative to the school closing? Um, I think that it, I do agree with Jamal in, by saying that, um, no, there wasn't um, uh, enough put into it, enough thought. Um, but let's even take it a step further when the Chicago housing projects were, you know, being demolished. And all those uh, kids and families were having to be relocated. No one really, I don't think, took the time to really think of the impact in relocating um, a lot of those students into schools that actually were performing, um, uh, that had very good academic performance, and then once you had that rash of children that were just placed in those neighborhood schools, why? Because now they were dislocated. All of a sudden you had a shift in academic performance um, with these schools. I recall speaking with the principal at the Woodlawn School some years ago and, and uh, trying to understand how did they go from being a magnet school to where they were on academic probation. And she, and she shared with me that, unfortunately, because they had uh, an overwhelming uh, influx of kids coming into the community uh, from different uh, areas, a lot of those kids, you know, academically, they were not performing. So now you have these kids, you know, placed in these different classes and test scores began to drop, and so now the school is affected as a whole. So how many other schools were affected by that? You know, so 
it seems as though the, the city and, and these officials, they take these harsh approaches and not thinking things, you know, thinking things through and how it's going to affect a lot of people. So pretty much what they're telling us is that you either got to put up or shut up. That's what they're really saying. So, yeah, but I yeah. agree with Jamal. I, 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 Jamal? I just, um, that was a, a beautiful point you made, Shalanda, and I just want to, I want to say, um, this, um, whole, when you try to teach kids, um, government standards and mandates aren't the answer because when you're trying to teach kids to the test as opposed to, to teaching to the student, there's going to be a problem because let's say, for instance, you got a kid that spent the last 10 years of his life in the in Mexico in their educational system and you got another kid um, that spent the last 10 years of his or her life in the American educational system and what they're doing is they're telling teachers, they're saying, hey, you, your salaries are dependent on both these students getting a, a 80% or 70%, whatever it is, and if you if they don't hit that level, then you know you're you're not going to get we're going to fire you as a teacher. I think we've had enough of that type of um of that type of teaching. It's, it's proven to be ineffective, and uh, and I just that's that's what I say. I think we need to revamp our educational system by bringing in role models from the community who can work with the teachers and um, explain to them the the different um social norms. They can explain to them the um, you know what what interests these students that they're trying to teach, and we can get better results. In the, in the classroom if we do that. I think you make a very interesting point, Jamal. I think you certainly have to uh, consider and, and take into consideration the the students that you're actually um, that you've been actually hired to to teach and disseminate information to. People come from various um, backgrounds, have various challenges, uh, family challenges, economic uh, uh, challenge by way of economics. Um, the whole the whole whole nine. So when you talk about education and the process of education, you can't look at it um, single. Mindedly, you have to take into um, account the entire um, the, the entire view of things. What's going on with that? With, what's going on with the family? What's taking place within the community? Uh, what background that particular student come from? And all that tends to show up in the test scores in terms of how they perform in school. And I think, and that brings me to this particular quote um, that Karen Lewis made by way uh, in the same article that I pointed out too. She said, "Closing 50 of our neighborhood schools is outrageous, and no society that claims to care." anything about his children can sit back and allow this to happen to them. There is no way people of conscience will stand by and allow these people to shut down nearly a third of our school district without putting up a fight. Most of these campuses are in the black community. Since 2001, 88% of students impacted by CPS school actions are African American, and this is by design. And that brings me to this particular question. Should the black community be in outrage as a result of this because black students are the ones that are being disproportionately affected and disproportionately displaced? And that's to your point, Jamal, in terms of understanding the students. What, what, what's your take on that, Shalana? Should the community be in outrage? Outrage. The community should be an outrage, but the sad thing is, is that the community has actually sat silent for so many years. It's pretty much like we're just giving in to the government saying, hey, look, you know, we have these problems, uh, we want you to take over, but then when uh, it's pretty much like a harsh punishment uh, being placed, now everyone is outraged. Um, the community, a lot of people in the community should have taken a different approach in stepping up a long time ago because, like I said earlier, these problems have been in existence for many, many years. It is, it, history shows that for the past 30 years, Chicago has had, always had high uh, student dropout rates. 
um, unfortunately, Latinos and African-American students have always been um, disproportionate in terms of how they're being educated. Um, think about it. Look at the type of teachers uh, that are in Chicago public schools in comparison to some of the suburban schools. You know, do you see a lot of suburban schools going through uh, the same problems that Chicago public school system, you know, are going through? No, you don't. And And so, unfortunately, because the community has sat silent for so long, um, it's almost like they've taken an attitude of giving up. And the ones that you are hearing now are, you know, the from the union, um, you know, the teachers that are saying, hey, look, you know, this is affecting us. You know, um, safety was not taken consideration, you know, with these kids. Um, now you're going to have all these different issues. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but something bad may actually happen because now you're going to have these kids crossing certain gang lines, um, parents now having to be inconvenienced and may have to take kids, uh, you know, to other schools that are not in close proximity to home. I mean, it's very, it's going to be very chaotic, and unfortunately it is going to have a huge impact on the community. What's your take on that, Jamal? 88% of the uh, 88 percent of the students impacted by CPS school action since 2001 has been um, African-American. Carrie Lewis says this is by design. Should the community be outraged? Well, uh, Frederick Douglass said, find out just what any people will quietly submit to, and you have the exact measure of the injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. Um, I think uh, in our nation we place so much emphasis on the, the quality of an education, uh, you know, where you went to school at. And um, your job title is directly uh, related to that, um, to your education. So with that said, I always ask myself, I say, uh, how come so many urban schools and students are failing to meet government standards? Um, you know, we can't turn a blind eye to the fact that um, there's a large segment of the population, um, um, especially in urban areas, that, um, again, I'll say it, have been victimized by an educational system that uh, has a – they're not – take into account different learning styles. I mean, some people learn differently. Some people learn by memorizing, which actually is the lowest level of learning. Some people learn by um, by mimicking other people. Some people learn by being creative. That's how I learn best, and that's why I love rapping growing up, because I could take information and, and create a song about it, and that helped me retain the information. And, uh, you know, I think um, as a result of the educational system, um, this is not a teacher's fault either. This is a systemic problem within the educational system because the, the numbers say that African Americans aren't being provided with the foundation to succeed in school. So um, among the demographics that are most impacted, of course, are, are, are African Americans. So you, um, this lack of a foundation of uh, not having an education, that's going to travel with them when they're applying for jobs, when they're applying for um, small business loans. They're not going to have the soft skills necessary to to make an impression, let alone have the hard skills like a degree, um, so they can be competitive. So uh, until um, until the problem is uh, reversed or uh, at least addressed, we're going to continue to see a disproportionate number of African-American um, adolescents that are struggling with school, uh, a higher percentage of dropout rates, and, uh, and behavioral problems. So I think as far as the community is concerned, I think, um, like Frederick Douglass said, I mean, once you once you do something like this and you don't, and no one stands up and says much about it together, no unified effort. Um, I don't think there needs to be one person doing anything, but if there's not a unified stance, I think, hey, then, um, they're going to continue to do things like this because we, we've um, that's a measure of injustice that we've allowed to be opposed upon us. You see what I'm saying? 
Well, I, I certainly exactly. hear what you're saying and see what you're saying. And but to go, um, but to that point, I think that's the point that Karen Lewis was making. She said that parents have spoke spoken direct, clear, and loud. Students have spoken loud, clear, and direct. Principals, but still, even with the community outrage. In fact, I attended one of the um, community hearings by way of um, the closings of the school and, and the coalition that was uh, put together uh, by the by the mayor or. or and um, the various school board officials, and still, in the midst of all this, we still came with 54 Chicago public schools being closed. And that's not to say that, um, and I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know who to believe. I mean, CPS is saying one thing, the pub, uh, the uh, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union is saying one thing, their spokesperson is saying one thing, and the actual um, Chicago Board of Education is telling us something completely different. So really, the community, to some degree, is like, who do you believe? Is there a billion-dollar deficit or is there not? Are the schools being underutilized or or are the schools overcrowded? So I know recently I read an article, an article it pointed out maybe we need to rethink the whole notion of how schools are being used because any time when you have um, high black youth unemployment in the city of Chicago, and you have a lot of uh, many other social ills that we can look out into the community and see, could we find other means and utilization of these buildings? Jamal? Yes. Yes, I mean, I, I just got back from a great conference in, um, in Santa Monica, California, and I, I was able to, to pick the brains of a lot of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and what I will tell you is that a lot of these young entrepreneurs under 35 years old, hardly any of them had uh, a formal education. A lot of them utilized things like Skillshare, which is a, a global community that's a, you know about collaborating and, and learning by watching videos, and you learn from these executives. A lot of them use courses like Coursera online, and which is the same type of um, the same type of system. You know, you discover something that you're interested in, you enroll for free. And then you can um, watch short video lectures from these. And there's also interactive quizzes as well. Um, you've got peer-graded assessments, and you learn from these professors at Duke, Virginia, all these. They get online and they share information. And this is um, you can build your portfolio of knowledge that way. So the traditional model of education, um, I think we need to be more innovative, and we need to think about um, how we can um, – as I, as I see it right now, now I'm, I graduated from alternative high school, so I, I think I can speak about this a little bit. I think that, um, you know, a lot of times today the students, um, the, the classes, the curriculum isn't created around the, um, what's interesting to the student. So as a result, the student gets to school and he doesn't see how the lessons he's learning or she's learning are relating to their life. So um, if, if you don't, and that's what school should be all about, is learning practical knowledge so I can learn and I can make a, a positive contribution to society. So, but if I can't do that, what they're going to do, if I'm a student and I'm having trouble um, adapting and conforming to this environment of school, they're going to place me in a special education class. They're going to label me a delinquent or deem me like a low-level learner. And the students that um, are less fortunate than that, like myself, we actually fell between the cracks, and we never really received the attention we needed to succeed in any level of school. So a question we have to ask, I believe, is is how um, – how can our educational system fulfill the needs of students? How can um, they give them an a, a education but also a desire to learn more? And that's really more important than um, instead of teaching kids what to learn, teach them how to learn. And by understanding how I learn best, 
I'll have a desire to want to learn more. That's kind of how I think it should be approached. Makes you know, sense. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three to listen in on the conversation, also to ask questions or comments of our guests. Also, I invite you to join us on Facebook, Mighty Than a Sword, or you can reach us on the World Wide Web, www. M hyphen T A S dot O R G. Again, that's www.m hyphen T A S dot O R G. I'm sorry, Shalonda, I cut you off there. What were you saying? I was actually just going to uh, piggyback off Jamal. Um, you know, when you look at uh, a lot of these schools, look at the communities that they're in. That they're in. Um, a lot of these communities have a lot of abandoned houses. Um, you know, look at the people within a community. You got high unemployment still. Um, and you have very young families in comparison to, you know, 30 uh-huh. years ago. And so, uh, you know, I will say that money needs to be invested in the communities and in these schools. These schools are overcrowded. Um, I don't care what they say, you know, you should not have 40 kids in a classroom. There is uh-huh. no way that a teacher would be able to teach these kids properly. Every uh-huh. child learns differently. I do agree with Jamal on that. But these teachers, the the Chicago Board of Education, also need to invest the time and energy into reteaching their teachers Uh and and, and bringing more creativity internationally. And, and, you know, even look at how they uh, interact internationally. You know, look at all the technology we have. Why aren't we, you know, using more of these tools in our classrooms? But we can't because there's so much dysfunction going on in the classrooms. And then you look at the condition of these buildings, the, the buildings are trash, you know. So basically, just to start from the from the uh, the foundation, you are putting these kids, placing them in this decrepit building, uh, buildings that you know actually shouldn't. A lot of these kids should not be in in the first place. And it's like you're telling these kids, you know, this is as good as it gets. You know, they have to learn in just very nasty environments, you know, unclean bathrooms, unclean schools. How do you think little things like that affect these kids? You know, and then look at their communities. You know, a lot of the communities, trash everywhere, unclean, abandoned buildings, and I'm talking about multiple buildings. You know, so when you have a community like this and then you have the schools that mimic the community, what do you have? Yeah, I hear you on that, Solana, and uh, and that brings me to this particular point. You said that we need to uh, maybe we need to consider reteaching the teacher, and so you're alluding to the role that teachers play in, ter- in terms of this whole educational process. And I get that, I hear that. I think we, uh, I, to be honest with you, I think some um, some of the teachers that teach in Chicago Public School are some of the uh, um, some of the greatest teachers that education has produced. And I think they do a heck of a job under the circumstances that uh, many of them are confronted with when you consider. Um, high crime area when you consider poverty-stricken communities. And also they have to compete with this whole notion of role models and who our children are trying to emulate and be like. So that brings me to that whole – that brings me to the question, um, Jamal, and I'll let you start with this, um, being that you you, – that's part of what what you do in terms of with the role model movement. And that's this question. When you consider African-American students, academic performance, high school dropout rate, to what degree does positive role models help to improve students' performance and aid in their decision to stay in school? That's a, that's a great you can't question. get away uh, from that. 
No, no, not at all. I think role models are definitely needed because I think a lot of African-American students have to deal with, uh, you know, race, uh, class, and other stratification factors that make their learning experience unique. And, uh, and by stratification, I mean, like, you know, a relational set of uh, inequalities within you got economic, social, political dimension. Basically, anytime differences are used to, to gain status, power, or privilege by one group over another, that's called social stratification. For example, a lot of African-American students, we are, we were raised in single-parent families. A lot of us uh, don't have family members that have, um, um, have secondary education. And then there's, uh, you know, language barriers, you know, um, and basically interests that aren't really conducive to the same type of learning by everybody. So I think... Um, I think teachers are, are like, like Shalanda said, teachers are busy, classrooms are overcrowded, um, resources and funds are are, are being stolen. Um, I know the sexy word of the month is sequestered, but I, I really particularly rather say <laughs> stolen. And I think that, um, I think that, again, more government standards and mandates aren't the answer, but I, I do think that these teachers are going to need um, role models who can work one-on-one with the teachers and who can help the, the students relate to you know, what they're learning in school and how that relates to their life. I think um, role, role models and mentors are so necessary because um, they're going to provide these kids with the inspiration to learn and um, and uh, and advocate someone to help them achieve, like uh, despite all this bureaucracy and this government interjection. Um, I guess a social worker could be used as well because they're uniquely qualified. They have, a, um, you know, ability to, to relate to the students and the um, at the academic and the social level, so they're they're equipped as well with the resources they need to um, be innovators. And in this curriculum, we we have to not have a standard curriculum. It has to be built around. Like if I'm going to have a a, a book vending machine, which I do have, I have a book vending machine. If I place this machine on the south side of Chicago, then my understanding is who who is my target audience. Therefore, the titles that are in my book vending machine are going to reflect my target audience. If I place a book vending machine downtown or on the north side of Chicago, I won't have the same titles that I have on the on the south side of Chicago if I hope to make any money. So it's a, I think the same thing needs to be done with the curriculum. When you're creating a, a curriculum, you can't, you know, have one standard curriculum. You have to, you know, be flexible. I want you to hold that thought, Jamal Shalant. I want to let you in on that in terms of uh, role model. Uh, how, uh, what, to what degree does positive role models help to improve students' performance and aid, and aid their decision to stay in school? You know, uh, role models are very important. I do agree with um, Jamal. Um, We need to have more people uh, stepping up to the plate to be mentors and, you know, and maybe volunteer their time, you know, to working with these teachers as well as the students. Um, Unfortunately, you just don't have enough of those people to go around, (laughs) you know. So um, therefore, but and so now you have these students, unfortunately, who are looking to the celebrities and the athletes and money as being their role models. You know, so uh, if they're taking uh, the the little wings of the world and you know the Drakes of the world, and now these guys are now you know role models, and, and the behaviors are being mimicked in the classroom. You know, in terms of you know certain behaviors. Because think about it, what is a role model? You know, a, a, a person that you look up to. You know, and so in the day and age that we live in, who do we really have to look up to? I was sharing with my daughter earlier. I said, wow, God forbid, what if our Jesse Jacksons and our Pastor Jakes and the various ones die tomorrow? Who will we really have to look up to? Who would we want to represent, you know, our kids? 
You know, who would we want to say, you know, wow, you know, I really admire that person. You know, they've made sacrifices. You know, they're investing time and money into, you know, the communities and to the kids. People that, you know, you can really look up to. And unfortunately, they are in limited supply right now. You know, so therefore, you, you know, you just have just so much negative energy out there uh, in terms of role models. I mean, there are some good ones out there, but they, uh, I would say that kids are not being influenced by, you know, the good ones. They're being more influenced by the ones that are, you know, uh, portraying uh, negative things such as, you know, uh, certain things in the music lyrics, um, their behaviors, um, and, and, and kids are justifying a lot of the things that they do based on these guys. I think I remember hearing one of the celebrities, uh, I think it was Rihanna, who says, you know, don't look up to me as your role model. You know, I think you... because, you, you, you know, they know, they know that people are going to look up to them. Uh-huh. You know, so if I'm looking up to you, that means I'm looking at your lifestyle. I'm looking at how you interact with people. I'm looking at your mistakes. I'm looking at your successes. You know, so when you see so much negativity taking place, and, you know, especially with a lot of the celebrities, the young, the younger ones on top of that, because keep in mind, you know, the younger generation, you know, they're attracted to, you know, the younger artists. You know, so what can they take from them? And, and so now you, you have these, you know, these kids sitting in these classrooms, you know, all they're focused on is I want to be like, you know, this artist here, you know. And, I think you make and, an important point, Shalon. I want you to hold that thought. I think you make an important point, and that brings me to this question here. And I, I hear what we say in terms of celebrities and role models and things of that nature, but um, do parents influence our attitudes towards education, money, politics, and violence? I mean, because I have our role models or these celebrities take taking the place of parents or or community members. Uh, Talanda, you could you you can go with that one. Um, I would actually say that. Well, the, the, this is the reality. In comparison to thirty years ago and today, you have a lot of younger households. And as Jamal said earlier, um, you have a lot of single-parent households. You know, my mom, you know, was a single parent, you know, and it's difficult. But now you have even younger, you know, a uh, friend of mine, I was surprised, you know, she's, I'm, I'll be 38 next month, and she's 38, and she already is a grandparent, you know. And I'm like, wow, you know. So you have these younger parents, and unfortunately, you know, with everything that's been going on in the community, uh, a lot of the negative things that have been taking place has been have been affecting these households, and so therefore you don't have you know children looking up to their parents you know as they once did, you know you used to have you know uh, kids that like man I want to be like my dad you know when I grow up, but unfortunately you have many fatherless households. You know mom is out working two and three jobs, or unfortunately mom may be out partying and kicking it. You know, and so who do these kids have to look up to? So now you got grandma that's now all of a sudden, you know, the kids, you know, role model. You know, and, and, and grandma really can't maybe, you know, she's doing her best to survive and take care of the household. So, you know, the, the kids, unfortunately, are at a disservice because, you know, they lack parental guidance, you know, because a lot of these families um, are you know a lot of these kids are being brought up by you know young younger single parents, and you know who do they have really to look up to? 
I hear you on that, Jamal. I want to get you in on that. Jamal has has role models taking the place of our parents, of our brothers, of our uncles, our aunts, and various other community um, and various other community members. Uh, if you could, if you could take a minute just to answer that, I know you have a lot to say, but then I want to get to one final question before we end this conversation. What's your take on that, Jamal? Yes, I think um, that uh, people have to, my father told me, you know, that you have to be able to separate reality from entertainment. And notice that the, the athletes and the MCs, that's entertainment. You have, to be able, you have to be able to see the difference between the two things. That's not reality. They, they, they get paid to entertain um, the, the public. And as long as you um, understand that and you have a healthy understanding of that, you can enjoy what they're doing. Um, I think that we do need more positive role models because, um, you never really know how hard parenting is until you're a parent. So I don't think any parent owes you know any apology because it is it's definitely it's definitely challenging. But I think um, the since we understand what we understand, the, the schools can do a better job at uh, going out and finding these people in the community that they that can work with the teachers and create a curriculum uh, around the students as opposed to you know not um, hiring somebody from Iowa and throwing or from Milwaukee and throwing them into the south side of Chicago and say hey you teach these kids and make sure i mean that's not going to work no, that make a whole lot of sense to me. Salon, I'm going to let you take this final question, and, uh, and if we have a little bit more time, because we have five minutes left, I'm going to let Jamal get back in. Uh, I always like to end off with some solution-oriented uh, ideas and information that we can um, share with one another and provide our listening audience with. So my last and final question is this. If mentors and role models play such a huge role in who we become, what messages are we communicating about education, and what can we do um, to ensure sure that our children are better informed and engaged. Well, 30 seconds each. One of the things that we have to do is start working with uh, the kids from the inside out. We can't keep, you know, just putting things on the surface and just sweeping it under the rug. You know, we have to address the issues at hand. Um, like Jamal said earlier, you know, kids do learn differently. We have to be more creative in our approach as to how we teach and how we implement things. You know, we have to be creative and ambitious um, and driven in our approach. And it's, it's going to take some time to do that, but, you know, and it's going to take some resources. So the real question is, you know, uh, where can we get the resources to put in our communities and into the families and into the schools so that, you know, we can get the creative curriculums and we can bring positive role models into the communities and we can hire, you know, teachers or retrain teachers to be able to, you know, bring a more fresh approach in how, you know, they uh, mentor and, and uh, teach these kids so that, you know, the, the dropout rates, you know, do go down and that more kids are, you know, having the desire to go to college and that we have more positive mentors and role models in our communities who are making a difference so that the kids are not looking at, you know, uh, celebrities and thinking that, you know, they are true role models. I'm not saying that they're not. But, you know, a lot of the things that they portray, I would not consider, you know, role model material. You know, yeah, so I guess. Now, I guess the point is it depends on what type of behavior you're trying to model, right? It's who we determine who our <laughs> yeah, role right. model should be. So I guess that's the real point there. Jamal, what's your, what's your take on that, Jamal? Uh, if role models play such a huge role in our society, and I know that's your thing, that's your work, uh, what messages are we communicating about education and what can we do to ensure that children are better informed and engaged? you got about 30, 30 seconds there, Jamal. Okay, we've heard so much about the No Child Left Behind, but there's, too many children being left behind. So 
our educational system is broken. We have to revamp it, and we have the tools. So let's um, we have to provide students with advocates or role models that are going to work with the teachers to embrace these differences the students have. You got to integrate multiple assessment tools in order to properly gauge the progress and strengths of all the students, not just the one that do well on, on the written in the written test. I think we need to incorporate the lives, cultures, and traditions of the students into the classrooms. And when we do that, we're going to enrich education for everybody. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, I want to I first thank both Shalanda and Jamal Cole of the Role Model Movement for joining us and Shalanda Sloan from I Hope Community Organization. She's a youth advocate and also ex-offender advocate, which we also we, we certainly need that in our community. And I want to remind you that MTAS is an organization that encourages reading and collector, collective efforts towards intellectual and community enrichment. We believe that there are two types of people, people who don't know and people who don't care. MTAS efforts are geared towards making sure that you know and are prepared towards taking the necessary actions to correct many social ills that plague the black community and the community at large. Our endeavors begin by accepting the fact that the community we live in is the community we create. I am responsible. We are responsible. Would you, will you join the movement? Join us at www.m-tas.org. Again, that's www.m-tas.org. Shalanda, I thank you for joining us. Jamal Cole, you've, been, you. you've, you've been wonderful, my friend. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is beautiful, man. Uh, we're, we're creating change. I can feel it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye.